I guess, uh, King, why don't you go next since, uh, you know, I've talked I a lot. I feel like I did, though, didn't I? I? Like, I brought Kirby up. Yeah, but, like, I also talked a bunch about a bunch of stuff in the last part, so. What's your next game? Uh, I, I'll do I, the Somnium Files Nirvana Initiative. That's, like, also the 3, 4, okay. 5 floating spot. So, sequel to I, the Somnium Files, which is written and directed by Kotaro Uchikoshi, who made the Zero Escape trilogy, which mm. is 999 Virtue's Last Reward and Zero Time Dilemma. He also made like a, uh, he made like a really old anime visual novel. I don't remember the name of it, but. Was it Steins Gate? No, no. Nothing like yeah. that. It's like a relatively niche one. These games are pretty niche in general, although I, the Somnium Files, is like a little more popular than Zero Escape was. But, um,. Mm-hmm. He's basically, he makes visual novels, but they they have some, like, interesting attributes to them that make them a lot more unique, that are, like, a little more interactive. They're sort of like choose-your-own-adventure visual novels in more mm-hmm. of a sense than they usually are in this, because, like, visual novels usually have, like, a path that you take, right? Yeah. In these games, it's more like, it's like a, you can, like, there are a lot more paths, and those paths are all relevant. It's kind of hard to describe, but like this started in Zero Escape where like you could travel between paths and there was an in-story explanation for it and it would all come together in the end. So like the way these games are constructed is that you will go down like whatever path you go down is whatever path you go down, but then you have to go back to like a splitting point and make a different decision and go down that path. But in the story, it will all in the end, come together because it's not like you go down a path and that path is forever like an end point that will never become relevant again. It's more like it all ends in like a single path. So like it's a pretty cool like conceit for a story and there's a lot of kind of insane in-universe explanations for everything that happens and why it happens and it's not just like a, you know, things just... This sounds suspiciously like Shadow the Hedgehog. No, because... It's sort of like that in terms of like the structure, but like these games like go to painstaking lengths to make it make sense that you can travel between the paths. Whereas in Shadow the Hedgehog, you start the last story and you have no fucking idea where it picks up from. But um, like I have no doubt that it's written better than Shadow the Hedgehog. It's sort of similar, (laughs) I guess. It's Shadow's like a more it's like similar in the sense that you make decisions and you go down a different path, but it's. I think where it separates is that there's a lot of information that you pick up that you can use in other pathways. Like some paths are locked until you've done a certain path and you have to take information you learned in that path and use it to make a decision that you otherwise would not know the answer to, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But if you were to ever replay it, you could use that information right away. It's kind of interesting because I'm not sure if I would ever like readily replay these games because they're basically just visual novels but yeah if i ever were to i think there's an interesting path that you could take that gives you a different experience but basically this one is a sequel to i the somnium files and i think the strength of these games is obviously that they're written extremely well and incorporate a lot of science fiction concepts like um yeah that are very unique i think this one focuses a lot on uh there's a lot more like the I games, which stands for AI, but it's pronounced I, and the hmm. pun is that there's an a, you have 
an eyeball that you put in that's also an AI. So that's the part oh, of the title. That's genius. I see what you did there. So this AI is also a character that helps you out throughout the game. But like the premise of the game is basically that you dive into people's dreams using the Somnium, which is a device that lets you dive into somebody else's dream. And so the puzzles mm -hmm. of the game are you in a wacky dream space where like the puzzles are very interesting because what you have to do is think like you're in a dream where literally the laws of nature don't apply to you and you can like you have to like interact with things in weird ways to make them like grow in size or like function differently than you would expect. Um it sounds and that's really interesting. Yeah. And there's like a time limit in them that if you do certain things the wrong way, the time limit will decrease and it, there's like a checkpoint system. But it's really fascinating, and I think the puzzles in the sequel are a lot better than the ones in the original, because in the original, the puzzles were, they were too esoteric to the point where uh, a lot of them, you would not, like, there's just no way you would even know what the theme is or what the fuck you're even supposed to do. So a lot of the time, you just walk up to stuff and do things and hope that it's the right answer. And those were probably the most frustrating part of the original. And one of the reasons I like the sequel more is that it feels like it's written just as well with like, I, I don't know how he does it, but like pretty much every game, there's something, at least one thing that I do not see coming. And I think it's, it's just like, he's such a fascinating writer because he's good at laying the groundwork and foreshadowing, but without giving too much away to the point where I'm like, I always feel like I know where he's going and he's never going in that direction. And it's <laughs> fascinating because he always takes this like insane quantum leap where like you, you just like the structure, the whole structure of the game gets <laughs> blasted on its head and you never would have expected that. I don't know. It's hard to explain. I guess it's like it, a Mori in the sense it, that like I can't explain why it's cool because I would spoil the entire game, but like it, the twists are it, always like, good. When you talk about like, quantum leaps or twists where it's like oh i didn't see that coming there's another game we can talk about later that attempted to do the same thing is it better or worse than spark 3 in that sense <laughs> um better okay i have a very low opinion of spark 3's story though so i don't know yeah <laughs> i don't know that that's saying much um but i would say better because <laughs> it seems like because we also talked about the twists in ragnarok when we did that podcast where it was kind of like they could have been interesting but it's kind of like it seemed like they were there purely to subvert expectation rather than to actually benefit yeah. the story in a meaningful way so you would say that this i yeah. game is a good example of how to do that right yes i would say if you take the twist which i won't spoil i guess or whatever but there's a twist in Ragnarok, and that is like a bog standard classic story twist, you know, that's like, like not saying it's bad or anything, but like, it's just like what kind of a twist you would expect in that story. The twists I'm talking about in these games are fucking insane. Like, <laughs> you would never, it's like a thing happens and it literally recontextualizes the entire game. It's like one mm. of those kinds of twists. Yes, that is um, very Omori-esque. So... He's really, really good at that, and he has he writes really interesting characters, and each path kind of it's like he takes classic visual novel tropes, like each path is focused on a character, which is very that's pretty much how most visual novels work, 
except in classic visual novels, it's usually a romantic angle, you know, where you take a path yeah. and you, it's like a romantic end. Like I'll tell the boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, where you either basically. pick the hero route or the uh, Natsumi route or the Yoichi route. Yeah. I know what you mean. So that's similar in these games where you pick a character and you go down the path. But it's like it can be any character and you focus on their their backstory and like they it like takes it can take like a a dramatic turn or something dark can happen. But because, you know, this path is not ultimately the end path, they can basically do whatever they want in the route and explore the characters in really unique and interesting ways and have them end up in interesting places because, you know, that this end is not going to be the true end. So they can basically do whatever they want. And it's really cool. And I think that I. I the, this i game is probably my favorite thing he's ever made. If I, I okay. having dwelt on it more, I think I like it even like because it has a lot of uh, horror vibes that I think we're missing from the original a little bit. Because this one's like a lot more of like there's cultish stuff going on. There's like a lot more fourth wall breaking, and not in like an obnoxious way, but in like a a way that's kind of unsettling. And I think it brings it back to the roots of like Zero Escape, which is. The premise of that game was that you're there like in 999, which is the first game, there's nine people locked in a building together and they play like a death game where um, they have to like make decisions and people will die pretty gruesomely if they make the wrong decisions and stuff like that. So mm. those games are a little more hardcore and definitely I would describe those games as horror visual novels. And I think the first I game kind of got away from that a little bit and was a little more silly. And this new one's pretty silly too. Like it's a lot more anime. But the, a lot more of the horror vibes Not, are back, and there's some unsettling shit in it that kind of brings it back to what I, the atmosphere that I really liked about the Zero Escape trilogy. So I we, appreciate that. Are we talking about like Xenoblade 2 blushy, crushy kind of anime stuff? Not necessarily. There, there's maybe like a few <laughs> scenes that are like that, maybe. I wouldn't say it goes as far as like Xenoblade 2, but like, you know, like there's typical anime things where like someone will make like a, a comment, you know what I mean? Like, stuff like that um there are little jokes here and there that don't always land very well <laughs> but that's a lot more common in the first game which actually funnily enough is kind of <laughs> i i hate that it is this way but there's a there's a lot of like <laughs> the main character in the original is like a little bit of a, a pervy dude oh um, god which is a little obnoxious but then i sort of hate that it is this way but like it, it makes a lot more sense when you you know more about his character, which annoys the fuck out of me, but like he actually made that work, which is just another reason I love this writer is that he's like, he leans into the anime sometimes a little too much, but he always has like an interesting explanation for everything that's going on and he wraps up all of his loose ends. And I think the only like questionable game he's ever made was Zero Time Dilemma in the sense that he didn't wrap everything up in that trilogy very coherently. But since those days, I think that game had like a rush development. So like I give that. A little bit of a pass but pretty much all of his games have interesting payoffs and setups that are very good and i would recommend i even this sequel you can just play it standalone because it has characters from the original but a really cool thing that i've never seen a game do before is you start the sequel and they ask you who was the killer of the original game because they're like murder mysteries in a way you have to figure out who the killer is in the original mm -hmm. and you can input their name and you would only know their name if you've played the game. So if you put it in, then throughout the game, they'll sort of reference the original as if you've already played it. But if you don't know who it is, then you don't put the name in, then they treat you like you've never played these games before. 
which is a really fascinating way to handle that. That's really cool. Yeah. So it's a very, very good game. One of my top five and probably my favorite game he's ever made. So really cool. Hats off to you, Mr. Guy. <laughs> what was his Mr. name? King. Kotaro Uchikoshi. Yeah. Kick ass. Yeah. Well, since I already brought it up, let's talk about Spark the Electric Jester. Now, Exo. <laughs> I hate I hate to be this asshole. Uh, mm, mm. Listen, listen, Professor Exo. I'm I'm sorry. I did not do the homework. Well, uh, you get an F then. It's <laughs> F for, uh, for people unfamiliar, when we did our Fuck. when we did our Knuckles playthrough, I gave these gentlemen homework to play the Spark trilogy. King did it, and apparently Ryan slacked off and didn't do the homework. So, I'm an asshole. Since you didn't play them, you can ask questions from an outsider's perspective. Of All course! Right. Uh, but King and I, yes, we played the whole trilogy, and the reason that I wanted you guys to play it was obviously earlier this year, we did our, or last year, we did the Sonic Frontiers podcast, and it seemed like there was a lot of dissatisfaction with the current direction that Sonic was going in, in terms of plot, in terms of game design in terms of, like, the visual theming of the levels and stuff. So I thought uh, playing Spark might be a good way to see, like, hey, do we like the, the direction that these games are going in better, or do we like them worse, or, you know, I thought it may might I be ask, interesting. May I ask a question, then? Question number one. Sure. For both of you. So I always hear that the Spark games have really crummy stories. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. uh, this, is, this is kind of a twofer. One, do you absolutely need to know the lore and the story of Spark to understand what the hell is happening? And do you need to no. play, like, in order to enjoy Spark 3, do you need to play the other two games in, only, in order to, like, fully understand what they're mm. trying to do? No. No. So I could just play Spark 3 just on a whim. <laughs> Keep in mind, I don't like the stories of any of these games, so maybe I'm biased, but I, I just don't think it fucking matters. Okay. Went, out, went in one and you're out the other for me. If you're worried about being lost, uh, Spark 3 starts with a summary of the first and second games. Okay. So you can, you don't get to see it until after you beat the first level or second level technically, but so it's kind of like Sonic Colors in that way where the hmm. starts in Medius Race. But yeah, uh, I'm going to agree with King. Lake Feppard has a lot of talents. He's a like, I hope he keeps making games because, like, I think every game yeah. he's made has been better than the last, and I'll be following his career from now on, but I really think he should not write his games anymore. Yeah. <laughs> or at the very least... Okay, King, what was your favorite story of the three, if you had to pick one? <laughs> My favorite? Probably yeah. the third game. Really? Uh, yeah. Like, I understand Probably. why you didn't pick the first one, but... Well, yeah. I... The the problem with the second one is that it it really it didn't feel like much was really going like that game feels like a tech demo and it didn't really feel like there was much for me to sink my teeth into now granted i don't like the story of three either so this is like picking through the fucking weeds right now but like i i would do three just because it has like the endings kind of mind fucky and like i thought that was cool <laughs> okay um, I don't think it was well written. I'm just gonna In say, fact, there were a lot of times at the end where I laughed. <laughs> but um, I, I really I, okay. I'm not trying to insult you, Lake Feppard. Like, really, I'm not. If you ever watch this, I don't think you ever will. But I think that you're a great, great game designer. I think that you've made some great games. I just don't like these stories, and it's nothing personal. I just don't like them. So, 
I okay, so I guess Ryan, you haven't played them. Here's how I would mm. describe the plots in these games. Sure. Um, the plot of the first Spark game feels like it was written by a 12 year old. <laughs> like, I mean, again, no in, insult in to Mr. Fepper. least insulting way that I can say that. Yeah, I agree. Where it just, when I was a kid, when I was 10 or 12, I made these little, I wouldn't even call them webtoons, but like little animations using PowerPoint based on comics Eric wrote that which you guys will never see because they're the cringest shit and that's the writing in spark one feels like that or just feels like a series of things that happen and it's like the plot doesn't really come together until like the 14th level where it's like oh now I know who the bad guy is and what they're trying to do but up until that point it's just like robots are attacking I guess and spark lost his job to a robot who is a clone of him, but is also the son of somehow, because that makes sense. You know, it's like, it just feels like a random assortment of things that happen. Um, Spark 2, I'm going to give the least bad ward of the three, um, <laughs> because it I understood what was happening for the most part. The dialogue was much better written, and um, it felt like it had a conclusion at least. Now, that's the one where you play as the, the robot, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. Fark, which stands yeah, for Fake Spark. Because like, I, I... And I say, I, the name Fark, I fucking hate that. <laughs> Would you say that you farking hate it? Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like, I, I know a little bit about Spark because like I would watch Twip and uh, Gotta Be Frank. I'd watch them play sometimes. So, yeah. like, you know, there's there's like some knowledge that I've absorbed through osmosis and... Also by you talking about the game, of course. So so the third game, Ryan. Mm. So you know how when you play Kirby in the Forgotten Land, how it's kind of, it's sort of written like triple deluxe, where nothing happens in the story after the beginning until like the very, 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 very end. Well, I wouldn't know because I haven't played triple deluxe, but yeah, yeah, I, I well, caught that on in, in the Forgotten Land. Land. Yeah. <laughs> where it's like Kirby goes to the apocalypse world. And then nothing happens in the story for hours and hours. And then you get to Until the you get very to that end. elevator. Yes. Yeah. Which I think is a step backwards from a game like Robobot, honestly, because Robobot integrated the story much better. Spark three does the same thing where the game mm -hmm. has like a very, very basic setup at the beginning. Then nothing happens for hours and hours and hours. And then you get to the end and it goes full dream drop distance all of a sudden. <laughs> like, it really reminds pretty accurate. For the first time, I'm going to have to agree with you. <laughs> like, Dream Drop Distance goes eight ways loony by the end, you know, where it's like, you thought the plot was this, but oh no, suddenly there are 13 Xehanorts, and they had abducted Sora from the beginning. I think, um, when I was playing the end of Spark 3, I think I was streaming it, and Jeb was watching it, or somebody was, and we were, they were like, we just, we like fall down a thing, and then... I was like, oh, is this like the final boss? And there's this like surprisingly long cutscene that ensues that's like, what is like, and the things that it's trying to set up, it is not prepared to do. And it's the f like, some of it's really funny to be honest, but it's like, because it's like, it's really shooting for the moon. And I honestly, it's written so badly that I don't even really remember what specifically <laughs> happened other than it was kind of trippy. So like it was the equivalent of Spark was in the whole time. That's not literally <laughs> yeah. what what it was, but it was on that sort of wavelength. Yeah. Um, 
where it's like, oh, so the entire game I played up to this point was a waste of time and it had no consequences to the well, plot. It was like, That's he great. was like, he was, it was like, he was, he was or something. There's like a, the entire game was set up by this little girl that was like, I, who was a, and <laughs> she, then she that, was like an, spark. There's like three fake out deaths at the end of this game. I think if, if I'm, if I can give any credit to the third game whatsoever, there are these minor villains in the second game that who are named after float double and Flint, I think, mm-hmm. which is a computer pun because a float and a double are two types of variables. They should have called Flint int for integer, but they didn't. So that was kind of weird, but they just sort of show up in the second game and you have no idea what their deal is. And then they all die. And then in the second game, you get a backstory for them, which is actually pretty good. Like, uh, I liked those parts of the game, but, where they give backstory on some of the characters because it made it more interesting looking backwards. But like otherwise, like here, my thing is you can have no plot at all or you can have a really detailed mindfuck Kingdom Hearts plot, but you have to pick one. Don't try to do both because that doesn't work. And that was kind of the problem with three is like it starts out with no plot and then it has way too much at the end. Okay. And the ending I'll was give the it stupidest thing for doing it does like a, a kind of cool thing with Fark and Spark. It is ripped off sure? from Dragon Ball, but it is, <laughs> it's kind of cool. So, and I, I like that in the third game, you know, they both kind of do their fusion thing. But, uh, so, uh, <laughs> that's all I'll really care. But, I, you know, I, I always hear, like, again, like from you guys, and I also heard from Twip, and I heard from Frank, and really just like a lot of people who've played this, I heard that the game itself is actually very, very good. Which so if it's Spark Three. Okay. So enlighten me. Sell me sell me the game. What 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 is it that makes this game stand out? Uh you go first, King. Uh Spark Three? Yeah. Specifically? Or, yeah. I mean that is actually like now I, I don't think right now it's on my top five list of the year. But I don't think it would be there if I played like Elden Ring or anything, to be honest. But mm-hmm. for the moment, because I played so little <laughs> that I would actually put on there, I'd put Spark 3 in like my five position. But purely because the level design is very, very good. And it, it actually, a lot of these levels brought me back to some of my favorite Sonic levels. So, okay. And that, that is a feat. Very few games have achieved. So. For that alone, I have to give it a lot of props. Um, Sometimes, it's not exactly explaining it super well, but it, it's like so Spark One's a little bit of like a, a Kirby Sonic esque fusion mm-hmm. 2D platformer sort of deal, and it was like it was good. I would say you know it, it's like not nothing like groundbreaking, but like it was a fun enough game. I don't know if I'd play it again, but um, uh, I think the level like I thought the levels looked cool. There was some good music. I think all three of these games have good music. Yeah, I'm I'm going to agree with that. I'm going to say that they all look really nice, too. Like, yeah. Especially for, for so. low-budget games. Like, a low-budget indie game, like, it is a great example of how less can be more, you know, in terms of, like, yeah. a cartoony visual style. And um, uh, because the, the 3D games run in Unity, that, that is, if there's one thing I will say about the first game, it runs in some... Whatever whatever engine that Planet Freedom 1 runs in is the same engine that Spark 1 uses, and it is horribly optimized for modern Windows. So if you try to play mm. Spark 1 on Windows 10 or 11, like, 
whenever I would pause the game, it would run at one frame, one second per frame. Like it got <clears> really <throat> chuggy. <laughs> Sometimes when I pause the game, the game would crash. Yeah. That was funny. So Spark 1 is kind of poorly optimized, but like, otherwise it's a decent game. I don't really like 2D Sonic games that much. And this one kind of reminded me of like the Dimps games, like the Advance or Rush games, which I do not like that much. Oh, well, um, I like those games, so I might like it. Yeah, the you might like it. of Spark 1, the, I will say that the end of the game, I fucking hated, <laughs> like, a lot. Are um, you talking about, like, the uh, the radio tower level with, like, the giant robots that get in the way? I, the, there was some part, it's, it's kind of like a blur. The game's a little bit forgettable. There's, like, a final level, I don't know if this was, like, when you're on a ship or something, which mm. looked really cool, but there was a part of it. That was extremely frustrating. One of was the it, sections of that level. Was it the giant laser section where you climb yes. up the shaft? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, like I, at that point, I almost gave up. <laughs> like I got so frustrated that I was like, I really don't want to do this anymore because there's a part like, I, I think the Sonic and Kirby fusion is interesting, but I don't think it works very well. There's only like two uh, power ups. Yes. I actually like 100% um, agreed on that point. There's like probably the best power ups are like the edgy one and like wind. Yeah, I used those two basically the entire time because every time I tried to use the other ones, it'd be like, "Why the fuck am I even using this?" Because the problem is, is that trying to insert because like Kirby, slow paced game, right, or moderately paced game, where it's like it, the focus is more on the combat, using the power ups and stuff. Trying to combine that with Sonic, where you have to try to go really fast and can like easily skip past enemies like it there's a reason why sonic heroes would always like halt your progress to fight things because otherwise you just run past everything because there's no reason yeah. to stop and fight unless you're fear going for like the a rank or something spark one and two like uh, spark two and three have like score medals you can get at least sort of incentivize that but like spark one i don't think has it feel free to correct me comment section so it's kind of like it, but at least when you're in 2d it's kind of like Mega Man X1 versus Mega Man X7. When you're in 2D, the enemies are physically in your way, so you have to kill them to get past them. And like yeah. Spark 2, you could just run past everything. And similar for Spark 3, though there are some parts where they will halt your progress to make you kill things. Well, that's something that about Spark 2 that... This might be surprising, but I think Spark 2 is probably the one I like the least. And a lot of that has to do with it feeling like very... Like I said, it feels like a tech demo in the fact that it's like the game is short and it feels like a lot of the ideas were just made for it and they don't, they like took a lot of concepts from the first game and they don't really fit. Feels like kind of a, a half baked effort. Hmm. I don't mean that in a condescending way. It's just. Well, isn't that also a thing in the, like, because I remember hearing that, like, all of the levels in Spark 2 are essentially DLC in Spark 3. Like, is that, uh, or, or maybe not DLC, but, like, they're extras or something like that's that. That's kind of what I mean when I say tech demo is that all those levels were put in three. Mm. And it feels like all of those ideas were then made into a much, much fuller game. So maybe three. something like a proof of concept? Is that the thing? Yeah, basically. that is a thing in game dev, yes, but usually it's a very, very basic prototype. Whatever. What do you think of Spark 2? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I think I agree. Maybe if I, I... I pretty much agree with you in substance about Spark 2, where it just feels like 
I think it's a very good example of things that work in 2D not working in 3D when you translate them literally. Because like I said, it's it's a lot like X7 in that like you can have combat mechanics in your platformer, but like if you don't have a reason to stop and fight the enemies, you're just going to run past them in 3D. And that's kind of a big problem with a lot of the level design is like you can just run past everything. But one thing I will give it credit for is that it generally has pretty solid controls. Until the end, but for the most of the game, it feels really smooth to the point where I tried to go back and play a little bit of Sonic Adventure 2 afterwards, and it felt way worse than Spark 2 and 3, honestly. Like, Spark 2 and 3 have really smooth, responsive controls and a really good set of mechanics. Like, you have the air dash, you have the double jump, um, you have something that's like a homing attack, and it's, it's really fun to string all of those moves together. So that's like one thing that Spark 2 has going for it. But like towards the end of Spark 2, there's a lot of parts we have to run around on 3D loop-de-loops and it's not automated like Sonic games. So like if you if you don't steer yourself exactly correct, you'll fall off and die and have to redo a huge chunk of the level again. And the game has like a setting inside of it that determines how smooth the analog sensitivity is. It's hard to describe. So like for the regular platforming, I favored something that was a little more 3D world-esque, 3D land-esque. But then when you get to those loop-de-loops, you need the extra analog sensitivity. So that was kind of the thing I disliked the most about Spark 2. Whereas Spark 3, I thought, fixed that issue completely, where the analog sensitivity feels perfect. And I think with, uh, with Spark 3, I'm going to agree that it was the best of the three, where it felt like... They they got rid of the Kirby abilities, which I thought was probably the correct choice because like they didn't really work in the previous games. And Ryan, I remember your very very old Sonic Adventure playthrough, or sorry, Sonic Adventure review. Oh you God, the... don't do this to me, EXO. <laughs> well, I just want to refer to one point uh, you made where you were no. talking about how Sonic Adventure <laughs> One feels more like an amusement park. Or something, yeah. and then Sonic Adventure 2 feels more like a roller coaster ride. Spark 3 really does remind me a lot of Adventure 1 in terms of the level design, where it's, it's like, it's these levels are huge for one. There's a lot of different places you can go to and explore, which is why I recommended it to you and Abif, because I think given how much you like Adventure 1, you'll really, you'll, you'll maybe find some of that magic there sure. in Spark 3. But from my personal point of view, um the jedi are evil no uh oh like king how much of the optional content did you do in spark 3 as much as i needed to progress okay um so did you do like the time medals or the score medals or anything i didn't really feel obligated to okay so you just you just played through the game going from level to level yeah okay so the game has like in terms of optional content there's a score medal, which you get from collecting stuff in the level and killing enemies, and a time medal, which is basically just a time trial. I thought the game was at its absolute best doing the time trials, because then you can really focus on timing your jumps properly and finding the best route, and it's really fast-paced and exciting. I thought the score medals were kind of terrible, because these levels are enormous. Like, I'm talking like what's a good comparison like super mario odyssey sized maps if that makes sense or like and there's sort of like a golden path going through that that goes to the end of the stage there's like a focused sonic adventure one sonic adventure two level inside of these giant levels 
And as long as you stay in that golden path, you'll have a good time. But the moment you start actually exploring, you'll realize that there's not actually a, a lot to do in these optional areas except collect bits, which are like the coins in the game. And if you're going for the score medals, you have to usually get like millions of points, which means that I found myself like to cut to the chase. I spent an hour in the first level alone just getting the score cap medal because like there's a diamond. There's like a gold and the platinum medal for the score and you had to get like 8 million points or something and you can easily spend over an hour in each of these levels if you go for the score medals. And apparently how it used to work in Spark 2 and in the beta builds for Spark 3 is that you would have a 7 minute time limit to get the score cap, which sounds like a nightmare to me personally. Or it's like trying to get several million points but then only 7 minutes sounds awful. So it's kind of like it seems like Fepperd realized that that time limit was too strenuous, so he got rid of it. But then the levels are exactly the same otherwise, so there's nothing preventing you for, from spending an hour in them. So, But like I said, the time trial is for fun at least. And I imagine if you play the game any percent, it will also be pretty fun. But I will, what, one thing I will say is that the optional levels, like there's how it's structured, Ryan, is like there's like a main act that you play through. Mm-hmm. And there's a boss usually. And then there's like four or five optional levels you can play. And you need to play enough of them to unlock the boss essentially okay and i found that those optional levels were the best part of the game because they were they were smaller and more confined uh the score medals weren't as annoying to get and um the time trials were really fun as well it's like the main acts could be a little bit overscoped in my opinion there's like a city level where you go downwards into an abyss which was really cool in concept but it also felt kind of it, it felt like there was a lot of wasted, useless space on this map that didn't have anything interesting or worthwhile to do in it. And these games also have like explore medals, which is basically like it's kind of like Sonic 06, where there are 10 medals in each stage that you can find. Mm-hmm. Um, and these levels are so big that trying to find them without a guide is like you'll be spending hours in these levels. Like and I and I still missed a ton of them, even though I was looking everywhere. So. I think if you go any percent and play the time medals, this is a pretty solid Sonic Adventure-esque game, but some of the optional content I did not enjoy, and I thought kind of ruined the pacing. So if you're listening, uh, Feppard, I think you might need to overhaul the score system a little bit so that it's not doesn't make the levels take so long. Also, buy me a bagel. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, so that's Spark. Uh, Ryan, why don't you go next? Sure. Did you guys like Star Fox? There was a Star Fox game? Mm, maybe not, but do you guys like Star Fox? Uh, yeah. yeah. I've only really played like 0 and 64 3DS. Yeah, did you like 64? I also played Assault. Uh, I guess so. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty cool, right? Uh, did you guys know that there was a game on Steam that released in 2022 that's... Uh, it's kind of like the uh, Star Fox and uh, uh, Space Harrier and, and Sin and Punishment kind of put in one game. Did that Zodiac game finally came out? Yeah, it was X-Zodiac. The game was pretty cool. Like the full game or just the demo? Because I want to oh. say a demo came out at some point. Uh, well, honestly, I don't know if it was the demo or not, but like I paid like maybe 10 bucks for it and it came with like 10 levels ish. I don't know, but like it was I didn't get to the. I didn't get to the end, but like it got pretty close. The game is actually really good. Okay. Hmm. 
you know, and that's like, you know, I mean, there's not really like, I don't have too much to say on, on it because like, it's, it's an homage to like those kind of games. Like again, like some punishment, Star Fox, stuff like that, you know, but like what I will, you know, say that I, I like about it. And even to an extent with Spark 3, from what I've seen, and also with, uh, you know, again, like, uh, Here Comes Nico. Like, it, it seems like as if these smaller indie games are starting to branch further and further away from, like, the whole retro 8-bit, 16-bit style. Yeah, yeah. Which is something mm-hmm. I very much appreciate, you know? Uh, there was another game that came out as well. One that I couldn't get too into, because I'm not really huge into roguelikes, but Have a Nice Death. Uh, it's a side-scrolling mm. roguelike, and, you know, you just, yeah explore these levels, you get powers, and powers are randomly generated, you fight bosses, and you play as the Grim Reaper, and it's, like, in, it's also set in, like, this really mundane office space kind of area, and it uses, like, a really nice-looking 2D hand-drawn art style, and I love it, you know? I couldn't really get into the game, because it's just, it's not my genre, but I'm just glad that we're starting to, like, even when a game... Again, like Exodiac, it's paying homage to like, you know, classic dogfighting games. You know, while they're paying homage to those games, you know, it's not, it doesn't ever feel like a straight up, like a, like a, like a ripoff or anything like that, you know? It's like, it has like Mm -hmm. its own identity and we're seeing indie devs become more comfortable being their own thing. So I'm just, I'm glad we're finally out of that, that realm of like retro 8-bit, 16-bit nostalgia. We're moving past that. We're doing new things. And I'm just glad, you know? So yeah. if you have, you know, if you like roguelikes, check out Have a Nice Death. If you like games like Star Fox or Sin and Punishment, check out this Exodiac game. It's really good. If you, I guess if you like Sonic, again, check out Spark 3, because I hear nothing but good things about that, save for the story. You know, like, indie games are in, like, a really, really good place right now. You know, you you even talking about Omori, you know? Like, that, yeah. I, I've seen that game in action. You know, and that game was made using RPG Maker, for some yeah. of you who didn't know. So it's like, and again, like it doesn't use like the, you know, like Chrono Trigger kind of sprites or final, like classic Final Fantasy sprites. It uses like its own hand-drawn aesthetic it's, for like the battles and everything. That's really cool. It takes a lot of effort. The overworld kind of looks like Pokemon a little bit though. Yeah. Like but the at the same style. time, there's only so, you know, there's only so much you can do in RPG Maker. So I yeah. can give them like, a, I can give the team like a little bit of slack there, but it's just, I don't know, it just, it makes me happy, and it makes me a lot more interested in games that are coming out through indie devs now. Like, I'm I'm more invested in them. I was able to knock up a few games off that list, <laughs> because I don't really have a lot to say, but yeah, yeah, I, I'm liking where the indie scene is going. Mr. King, would you like to go next? Uh, my second favorite is Tunic. Okay, I talked to, I played a, bit, a little bit about this one. This one's pretty good. I think Tunic, incredible game. It actually really surprised me. There are a lot of people that were recommending it to me, but I didn't play it until the very end of the year. But it sort of revives the magic of Zelda 1 in a non-obnoxious way, we'll say, because Zelda 1 can be a little bit obtuse. It, it kind of translates that energy into a a modern-ish kind of game. It has Dark Souls elements, but it, it feels a little more Zelda than it does Dark Souls to me anyway. Mm-hmm. In the sense that it's like, yeah, it's a little difficult in the way that 2D Zelda can be difficult. I wouldn't say it's like souls hard, but you know, when you die, you lose your money or whatever. And, There's and bonfires like, that respawn yeah. enemies. So like it's souls inspired, but yeah, that's not really the, the reason the game is in my number two spot. The reason it is, is because the game is about discovery. Like 
I would say anybody who wants to play this game, never ever look anything up, even if you're tempted to. Just don't do it. Like, you will ruin the game if you do that. Because the whole thing is about, like, there's an in-game manual that's, like, really, really lovingly detailed. Yeah. And you pick up, it's one of the collectibles are pages of the manual. So inside the manual, it sort of teaches you how to play the game, of course, but it gives you, like, little tidbits of the story, and it will tell you little things, like, I'm trying not to spoil this game, but, like, here's an example that's relatively non-spoilery that, like, I can give a little drop hint of. There's a thing you can do by holding down a button on specific objects, and you would yep. never, ever know that you'd be able to do that unless you pick up this page of the manual that lets you know you can do that. And what's genius about this is that a lot of what Tunic relies on is less traditional power-ups and more information in terms of there's actually a lot that you can do at the beginning of the game. It takes like a specific button combination or you holding something down that you would just not know how to do without being taught that information. So what it's able to do is hide that information from you while making you learn it is like getting a power up in a Metroidvania or a Zelda game that lets you access new areas. It also Except you've been able to access them all along. So it makes repeat playthroughs even more interesting because you know that you can do things here already. And it's actually really cool. It also acts like a, a map for some of the earlier dungeons too. Yeah. Which yes. I, you I collect really appreciate maps through the the manual as well. Yeah. Which are actually incredibly useful because this game has a lot, a lot of secrets. And really? Maps are incredibly helpful. I spent a lot of time staring at the map trying to piece it all together yeah. because it's a less traditional map in terms of like it's more hand drawn and it's not like just the kind of like a grid like in most games. It's like a very, you know, it's like basically what I'm trying to say is that it's a really well-made Zelda game that puts the focus on discovery in a way that I've not even seen most Zelda games achieve the heights of Tunic, mm -hmm. um, honestly, in terms of like what you can learn about the world and how the mechanics work and stuff like that. And it's just a very magical game. It has like a cool synth-y soundtrack and the atmosphere mm -hmm. is like really, really, I don't know, I played this... Um, like near Christmas time when it was snowing a lot. And because I'm a bad man, I like to open the windows when it's really cold. <laughs> so I was playing it like in a cold winter night with like these synth vibes going. And it's just like I've really, it's an immaculately made adventure game. Mm -hmm. And it, it kind of revived the magic of adventure games for me. So I thought it was, it's my second favorite game of the year. I personally would have preferred if they leaned a little bit more towards the Zelda isms, like ideally, I would have preferred if maybe there was like a bit more of a like a clear cut story, maybe not like as linear as some of like the 2D Zelda games ended up being like something like Phantom Hourglass or Spirit Tracks, nothing really like that. But, you know, like I remember like something like A Link to the Past had like a really charming story, even though it was like a little by the numbers, but it's like there was a bit more context of the world that you're doing. Again, maybe that goes against like what the game is do like trying to do, like what you were saying. It's the theme is discovering, like, you learn how to play the game by literally finding pages in the overworld. Like, that is such an interesting way of, like, tutorializing your game. And that's something I really appreciate. But, I don't know, there's just, like, something, like, I, I guess, like, the entire time there was something in the back of my head where it's just, like, there is something missing, like, there's something that should be here, but it's not quite here, or I'm not exactly seeing the kind of thing that I So, you played to it see. too? 
I played a little bit of it. I didn't get to finish okay. it, but I did get to play a little bit of it. You know, and like there, there's like I saw a couple of cutscenes, not through the internet, you know, by playing the game, but in that that kind of like have me a little bit interested, but at the same time, it's not really it hasn't done enough. And I also personally feel like as if maybe having the Dark Souls system in the sense where it's like you lose everything when you die, the campfires, the flasks. I think maybe that's a little too punishing for a game like this. I, again, like if yeah. if it was more of like the Zelda game that it wants to be, like maybe if we had like the heart pieces for you know, like maybe that's how you get more health or whatever. I think that like I think that would be a bit more preferable than having a Dark Souls system. But is yeah. it a deal breaker? No, I don't think it like it ruins the game or anything like that. It's just I, I personally would have had. Or I, I would have preferred like a different system altogether, or or again, just like maybe just keep it more towards the Zelda isms. But I mean, I, I like what I played so far. I like it a lot, and also like it's again, well, maybe it's not like Dark Souls hard. It is definitely it's harder than a lot of Zelda games usually are. Zelda games really aren't challenging, but this one, it's got a bit of a mean bite. It's refreshing. I definitely appreciate yeah, I mean, that. Like, I guess it's pretty hard. I thought it was like about as. Cha- I don't know if I'm just like used to this stuff, but I thought it was like about as challenging as a link to the past could be. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely say that. King, if I can ask, then, um, you've beaten the game, right? Yeah. How like if how puzzle heavy is it like in later parts? Because like a lot of the stuff that I've experienced so far is. Just, I guess it's kind of depends just- on what you describe as a puzzle. That's uh, a little tricky with this game, but like, mm-hmm. mm, yeah. I solved a ton of puzzles, but they were more like, <laughs> there's like this huge ass end game puzzle that's entirely in the manual that you have to solve. Oh, okay. There's a lot of stuff like that, but mostly the game's like combat focus. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. And get it. you know, one of the reasons why I play Zelda games is mainly for the puzzles. You know, another reason why I prefer like games like Golden Sun over like other RPGs. Like I like the puzzle focused. Yeah. But like I mean, that's one of the things I didn't really care much for something like A Link to the Past, where it's just like a lot of it just kind of felt like hallways with enemies, and especially Zelda One kind of felt like that too. Yeah. Ah, but you know, also at the same time, maybe again, like a lot of the like the quote unquote puzzles in this game would you know it's it seems like as if a lot of that is just discovering and learning how the game actually works you know yeah so mm-hmm. again i think the game is pretty awesome so far but i just you know i need to play more of it but yeah no i yeah i'd recommend it yep uh i got far enough to get two of the orbs i think i was in the scavengers domain when i stopped um and i just haven't really felt like i i'm going to leave it at this I see the appeal of this game and why people like it, especially people who kind of who liked Zelda one, but you know, Zelda one's kind of dated in many ways. I see what the appeal is, especially if you're someone who likes both Zelda and souls like games, this is pretty much tailor made for that demographic. Personally, it wasn't really my cup of tea and I'll leave it at that. Okay. Mm, Mr. Exo, would you like to say another game that came out? Okay, um, did any of y'all play Stray? No. No. Okay. My girlfriend really liked it. So Stray, it's interesting because, like, I have thought for years about what a cat platformer would play like. 
most of that was in like 2D, but like a 3D cat platformer. This is essentially what it is with some elements of like a visual novel thrown in. Well, maybe visual novel is the wrong way to put it, but this game is surprisingly story heavy for what it is. Cause like you see the trailers and you think, okay, this is probably going to be a no dialogue game with a cat in a cyberpunk city. That's kind of what the trailer makes it look like. Um, when you play it, it's, it's more story and dialogue heavy than you'd think it would be, especially considering you are playing as a literal cat who cannot speak human language or anything like the cat itself seems really grounded. The first hour I thought was brilliant because like it starts off really grounded. There's no dialogue. It's mostly atmosphere driven. The cats just make, you know, meow noises. And I just also want to say that cats are the greatest of God's creatures. What's it like I to be on cats. the wrong side of history? Anybody who hates cats has not met my cat. Whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't the... say anything about hating cats. I just said, you know, they're no, 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 no. I, I wasn't saying that. <laughs> I, just, I just meant in general. Like, there are people who just fervently dislike cats. Yeah. You know, but like, when you when you meet a sweet one who's very loving and affectionate, that I, I think that would melt even their hearts. Um, so I was looking forward to this game because I like cats. And I think in terms of the mechanics, they did a pretty good job of trying to like automate the platforming and stuff. Cause it basically how it works is it's it, you basically, you walk to an edge of a platform and you press the jump button. And if there's something you can get to the cat will automatically leap for it, which I think was probably a good compromise. Cause if you, they tried to make the controls more free form, it might not have worked very well, which, but that does also mean that a lot of the le- level design can be kind of, I guess, scripted is a good term for it. It feels like there's not a lot of mechanical freedom. So you're just kind of going through what the game wants you to do without as much of the agency for it. There's not really any combat or anything in in it. Like the first part of the game is very, you know, like the early parts of Resident Evil 2 where you're trying to get to the police station and you don't really have anything to defend yourself with. It's kind of like that Hmm. where like there are these monsters that will kill you really quickly if they touch you so like you have to avoid them instead of attacking them but then later you get a weapon anyway but then that goes away after that um the game is is very sci-fi it takes place in a very well fleshed out universe um and there's kind of like a it, it goes to some dark places in terms of like i don't know it's it's kind of a difficult game to talk about because it is very much one of those games where the story is the focus Like it has gameplay and the gameplay is competent enough, but it's not like you don't have a lot of mechanical freedom or expression. Like you kind of have to do exactly what the game wants you to so that the story can happen. And then like the story is good, but I kind of wish that the game had no dialogue at all and you purely viewed it from a cat's point of view. I would love to play that version of the game. I guess the last thing I would say is that the ending legitimately made me ugly cry. (laughs) Like, uh, uh, there was something about like I've I've seen similar endings in other works of fiction before, but when it's happening to a cat, it makes it so much sadder. Like they did a good job using cat body language and behaviors to communicate what the cat was feeling. And there is a part towards the end of this game that that just broke me, and I uh, I cried for like ten minutes. So <laughs> if you if you want to feel horrible uh, in a good way uh then play stray nice but i will give it this it is very unique i haven't played anything like it before 
I feel like a game like Stray is adding more to the medium than something like God of War Ragnarok, if that makes sense. It's not playing it safe. It's not doing things that it will know will work. And it found an audience from doing that. And we might get more interesting, creative games with different types of movement mechanics in the future because of it. So, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mr. King, would you like to go next? Um... I really only have my game of the year left. Okay. I like I said, I didn't play too much that came out. And I, I guess I didn't actually answer the question of a game that didn't come out last year that I played, but probably the highlight one was uh The Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky. Ah. I played. It's probably the best game I played last year that didn't come out last year. And you know, it's pretty much just a traditional JRPG. It's just re- a really well-made one, not necessarily in terms of like it being like the best combat system in a JRPG or anything like that. It's just very, I'd say extremely well written, especially in terms of its world building is pretty fucking excellent. Like basically everybody you talk to has something worthwhile to say and every side quest is actually worth doing and adds to the world. And like, it's kind of crazy the level of detail that goes into the the characters that exist in the world. Like there are one-off side quests that will like when you go to a later town, that person will show up. And if you've done their side quest, they'll just be like, hey, I remember you. And it's like little stuff like that that adds up into a world that feels like one of the most well-realized worlds I've ever explored in that sense. And it gets me like really interested in playing all of them because it's, it's just that good at making the world feel real. Like I'm playing the second chapter. It's like Trails in the Sky SC, which stands for second chapter, which is like the basically the second, it's like a two part story. And this is like the second part of that story in this one part of this larger continent that the future games explore different parts of. But Mm -hmm. it's pretty good in the sense that, like, it's like it's kind of a traditional bog standard JRPG. Like, the combat's not bad, but it's like nothing groundbreaking. It's mostly a vehicle for the, the story. And I thought that exploring. It was like most of what you do is talk to people. So I guess in that sense, it felt a lot like a visual novel, where but you have more control over your movement, and there's like some dungeon crawling and stuff. But it was mostly like you exist in the towns, the story plays out, there's like a lot of cool characters that you meet, like a lot. This is probably one of the most, the most characters per capita that I've seen in a game in quite a while. But like I said... Most of them are not just throwaway fuck off characters. You go to like a town and it has sort of a self-contained story, but like those characters will become relevant later. So like you're almost always consistently rewarded for just hanging out in the town and talking to people. And it's like kind of a, I would say that it's a light breezy JRPG. It was like 20 some hours. It's like not the Mm -hmm. longest JRPG I've ever played, but it's not the shortest, I guess. It's like, it's a pretty comfortable game to play through. Um, and I liked playing it on my Steam Deck, which I have now. Mm-hmm. And now I'm pretty interested in the franchise as a whole. I'm probably going to keep going with it because the first chapter ends on a cliffhanger that's kind of mean. I, I would hate to have been around when it was only this <laughs> game out. But now I, I, I'm thankful I can just pick the second one up and play through it. And I'm like a ways through that. So it's like in terms of a game that didn't come out last year that I played, that's probably the best one. I guess uh, my question for you then is, um, like, I've seen, like, advertising materials and, like, logos and, like, promotional images 
for the Trails games, but I don't really know anything about them. Like, is it like a turn-based RPG kind of thing? Sort of, yeah. There's sort of like a mix between a, a tactics game and a JRPG. It's more on the JRPG side, though. The only the tactics element is that you can move around a grid, but okay. it's like a very small room. It's like a JRPG arena, but they there are like squares on it. Is it like uh, the the Battle Network games a little bit? Then no, it, it's like it's a bigger grid. It's okay. like a a normal JRPG room, but there's like thirty squares you can move on. And the the only thing that this really does is that if you're not in range of somebody you can't attack them and mm-hmm. you have some aoe attacks that can hit multiple people if they're bunched together so it's like a it's like basically you select jrpg commands but like some of them have aoe's and some of them you have to be in range to use some of them you can use from a range so is it is it sort of like fire emblem then in terms of the combat uh, i mean it, it it's similar it's not really like it's not quite like fire. It is like in the sense of how your characters move around, but it's like not that heavy. Hey. It's sort of like you have to be in range to hit someone with a melee attack. And when you hit somebody, you can knock them back. There's like sort of a strategy element of like you can corral enemies together and then hit them with an mm-hmm. AOE attack and stuff like that. That's about the extent of it, really. Radiant but. Historia and Live Alive do something very similar. In different mm-hmm. ways, but it's it's about all about like positioning, right? Yeah, yeah, basically. No, I, I definitely like my sister's always talking about this game. One of my buddies, Genma the Samurai, he's always talking about this game too. He talks this game up a storm. It's on my to do list. I just I didn't know she had played this game actually. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I just I walk in, I'm like, oh, I know this. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are a lot of games um, that all take place in a different part of this giant continent. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to keep playing them because, like, I imagine the longer I go, the more investment I will have in it because I know that the quality of the world building and the characters, and I know that, like, in certain later games, some of those characters show up again, even main party members and stuff. Yeah. And that just sounds like something that's up my alley because I love longer storytelling and world building. It's one of my favorite things. So, admittedly, it's very intimidating because there are a lot of games. Yeah, I've, I've gotten through One Piece. I think I, I don't, <laughs> nothing can phase me anymore. Uh, Caesar Clown. Anyways. <laughs> Please check out our YouTube channel for playthroughs of our favorite games and video versions of all our podcasts. This episode was edited by yours truly, ExoParadigm Gamer. Check out the links in the description to follow each of us on YouTube, Twitter, and more. Thank you all very much for watching our podcast, and we'll see you all next time.